You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. It's, it's just simply amazing to be here. My name is Michael. I'm one of the elders in training, and um, it's just simply an honor to be able to come before God's people to open the scriptures to you and it's just, I'm just like mesmerized, right? I can promise you that as I'm going to go through the sermon, some of you might think that um, Eric and I, you know, on the Song on the Lamb, you know, has something to do with it. He hasn't even seen my sermon, and he was like, whoa, I'm going to be the second preacher after Eric because he just like, he sang, he sang my sermon right there, and that's just, it can only be God, right? It can be one spirit. We are one of the same spirit, you know, one Lord, one spirit, and that's just simply amazing. So um, when, I, when I, was, I was talking to a brother, I don't know if he's here today, Justin, Jassy, and I was just telling him that, you know what, I feel, I feel a burden in my spirit concerning this sermon I'm going to preach. You know, that's just my own way of telling him I was nervous, you know, I didn't want to just, you know, go straight to the point, by the way. And he was like, he was like you know, brother, it's just enough that you're going to open the word of God. And this morning when I was feeling that Jesus, I remember that and I was like, I'm just going to open the word of God and let God speak, right? So I'm going to begin this sermon by reading, I didn't plan this, but I'm going to read from um, Hebrews chapter 10. Um, it says, but since the law passed by the shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never buy the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, But the body you have prepared for me, in burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had said said the things above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from, t- from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. Church, I wish I would have prayer. Father, we come before you today, opening your word and allowing you to speak to us. Christ offered for us a sacrifice once and for all so that we also can taste of the goodness of what you have in store for us. We are grateful as we come to hear your word today. May you speak to us. You have a message for us. Let that message come to each one of us the way you have ordained it to come to each one of us according to the measure of your mercy and your grace on our lives. Father, when the word comes, let our hearts not be hardened like Pharaoh's heart. 
Let every single heart be softened and hear the word that you speak to us today. And that which you require of us through your word, let each one of us have the grace to obey. Thank you, Father. We want to pray also for, for the city of Baltimore. Just, just pray for the city that we are in, the city that we found you in to worship and have community in. City is increasing in crime, Father. Let your presence fall on Baltimore and let the crime and the evil that seeks to reign over this city be defeated. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So today, the title of my sermon is The Blood of the Lamb. And it's taken from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, verses 16. The big idea I want to share from this is that in the story of the Passover, we see how God invites his people to respond to his saving grace and power from generation to generation. So last week, we, we did cover the first nine plagues, and today we'll be covering the final plague. And this plague is the death of the firstborn of Egypt. It is the final act of God's judgment against Egypt and her gods and his deliverance of his people Israel. You may be tempted to see the entirety of this final plague in, the, in light of the death of the firstborns of Egypt. But there's more to this. And if you do consider it that way, you may be tempted to conclude something about God that is not truly what he is and what he is doing. These plagues were aimed at the Egyptian gods. In Exodus 12, 12, he says that on all the gods of Egypt, I shall execute judgment. They were false gods. They were false gods because they offered a hope and a promise of deep longings that they could never satisfy. And they represent the human attempts to satisfy these deep longings, our need for security, our need for acceptance, and our need for worth. Pursuing false gods is automatically a rejection of the true God who can meet all these longings. And we know that God is, does not share his glory with any man or with any of his creation. So these gods of the Egyptians that God judged were gods of the elements of the earth. Water, they worship the Nile. Animals, they worship the cow. They worship dogs. Anubis, the god of death. They worshiped cats. They worship all sorts of things. And if you look at the wrath of God against Egypt, these were specifically engineered and targeted to defeat every one of these gods specifically. For example, the plague of blood defeated the river gods of the Nile. The plague of locusts, it defeated the field gods of the harvest. The plague of darkness, it defeated Ra, the god of the sun. By interfering with these elements, God was pronouncing judgment on these gods. And at the same time, he was saying he had control over all these elements. He is telling them that he is better and he alone is worthy of worship. And he will not share his glory with anyone. Egypt's experience, therefore, should show us that those who put their hope in false gods risk being destroyed along with these gods when the one true God strikes these gods. And God's judgment is just and right. It's, it involves more love than even the most loving of us could to come up with. God's love is, his judgment is, is not like human expression of wrath. It is not like a, a pointless, mindless torpedoing of anger towards his target. No, he says that, shall not the judge of all earth do right or do just? God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He says in Ezekiel 33 verse 11, 
He says to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So the last plague should not be seen that in, only in the light of the death of the firstborn sons. Like all the other plagues, it was against the gods of Egypt. So now on to our passage. This passage is very important for two, uh, two reasons. First of all, it's, if you read, as we have read um, a couple of weeks, the last two weeks and last week, it looks as though we are looking at the plagues of God and we are looking at the punishment of God against Egypt. And somehow we seem to have forgotten about the people for whom this, these plagues are being executed on Egypt for. It's like, for a second, so this passage for a second just turns our attention back to the Israelites. And God, by doing so, is showing us what he wants our response to be with what he's doing with his people Israel. And secondly, it's important because this verse or these scriptures in and of themselves are pointing a foreshadow of a distant reality fully revealed in Christ. And therefore, we, f- we need to fully, to fully understand these passages. We need to zoom in and zoom out of the passage frequently. We need to zoom in to see what God is doing in the lives of the Israelites and the Egyptians and what he requires of them. And we need to take a step back and zoom out and see how what is happening is all interconnected to God's ultimate plan for salvation. So let's take it this way. It's like going into the, that great Amazonian forest to study it. You cannot study the forest without studying the trees. And neither can you study the trees without considering to the totality of the ecosystem of which the trees are part of. So as we study the trees, we need to step back, pull back, consider the forest of which these trees are a part of so we can have a better appreciation of what God is really doing here. So when, when we zoom in, we can see that God is showing the Israelites, number one, to order their lives in light of their deliverance. And we also see that He's showing them to remember their deliverance. And then when we we take a step back, we can see God's faithfulness revealed, and we can also see a blueprint of God's ultimate plan for salvation. So um, let's zoom in and see how God is showing the Israelites how to order their lives in light of their deliverance. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month for you, or the first month of the year for you. What God is basically telling them is that this deliverance that I'm about to give you, I'm about to do for you, is a big deal. He's saying that make this month of deliverance the first month of your calendar. He's telling them that their lives must be shaped by this experience from henceforth. He's telling them that in essence, let it be the base on which everything in your life will be built on. He's telling them again that this new style of making the, 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 the deliverance about to happen, the new year of your calendar means that you'll be marching to a different calendar because, you see, the social life is going to be so different from all the nations around you. They're going to have a different time or measurement of time, but yours is going to begin from when I gave you deliverance from Egypt. And he's telling them that, I am not only doing this to, to, to bring you out of Egypt, but I'm ushering you into myself. Let's hear him in Exodus 7:16. He says that, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. The purpose of the deliverance of, Egypt, of Israel from Egypt was not just for the sake of it. God was saying, I am taking you out of this 
to bring you onto something better. I'm taking you out of a land dominated by the worship of false gods onto, onto the land where I will reign and you'll be in me as the true one, the one true God. That's what God was telling them. He's telling them that I'm delivering you to something very different, to a new life, something even really radical. He's telling them that your deliverance is the beginning of a new life built on the foundation of your, new, of your new identity in me, myself. You are now my chosen people. God is telling them that this is a big deal. Believer, the same is true of us today. God has saved us and he has made us a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says that um, when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. Behold, the old is past and the new has come. So God has delivered us and he tells us in Galatians 2.20 that this life that we live now is not unto ourselves, but unto the Savior who died for us. And Christ has become for us the foremost, the foundation and the binder of all things for us. And so he says in Colossians 1.17 that he's, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's telling us just that like the Israelites, that we need to evaluate everything from the viewpoint of what we have become by God's grace. Who have we become? He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He has rescued us into the kingdom of the sun that he loves. He has made us the salt of the world, and we add spice to the world. Hallelujah. He has called us to be the light of the world, and by that light and that shining through the example of our lives, our lives will illuminate the darkness in this world. And even those who are not saved can see that this is right or this is wrong. They may not choose the right way, but they can see from the, the stories of our lives that, that something is right or wrong, even though they may not choose it. And, and that is who we are. We, are we, we have become enigmatic, mysterious to the world. We confound the wise, we confound the rich, we confound the poor, we confound the foolish, we confound everyone. Because to some, we are the aroma of death. Because what we say is judgment to them. But for some, we are the sweet fragrance of a life-giving force. Who is Christ himself? The fountain of life. That is who we have become. And God is saying, let your life be built on who you are in Christ. I've saved you not that your life will look like the world in which you came out of. He's telling us, from henceforth, just like the Israelites, let your life mirror what you have become in Christ. If you are here today and you are saved, I'm telling you that your salvation is a big deal. Do not take it for granted. Do not hide it in your workplaces. Do not hide it in your neighborhoods. Your salvation is a big deal. Make a big deal out of it. And do not let your life be controlled by the past. He's saying that the old has passed and the new has come. If you are here and you are not saved, God is telling you that it's a big deal, that a big deal has not yet happened to you. He's telling you that you too can have a new beginning. Do not harden your heart to his word today. The second thing we see in the scriptures and in the word of God when we zoom in is that God is showing the Israelites to remember their deliverance. God tells them to memorialize what has been done for them. Why? Because we people easily forget. It is our nature to move on quickly when we get what we craved for. And then we begin to crave for the next thing. We quickly move on. The poet said that, as a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. When it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. With man, there is always a risk of living life always in pursuit of the next and never at rest. 
But let's remember in Exodus 6, 5, the Israelites cried out to God, and the Lord said, the misery of the Israelites has reached me. And God heard their cries, and he responded. However, as we'll see in later chapters, these same people will forget that God himself came and he responded to their cries and he rescued them from Egypt. At a point, they cried out to him that why did he even bring us out of Egypt? If, you, if you, for a second you are thinking, this must be the most ungrateful human beings on earth. Don't be so quick to judge. <laughs> Maybe you are here bitterly complaining about your job. Forgetting that when you were, you were once anxious and expectant to land the same job. Or maybe you've forgotten that when you were jobless, you cried to the Lord and he answered you with this job. Maybe you are here and you are complaining about your marriage or children. Forgetting how you once loathed your singleness. Or perhaps you cried out to the Lord for a spouse and for blessings of, of children in the marriage as well and he has given them to you. Listen to this one, it's good. <laughs> are you ready? Maybe you are here and you are complaining about your church. Gossiping about the brothers and sisters behind their backs. Busily. Oh yeah, apparently gossip is a thing in the church as well. Forgetting how God met your deep need for a godly community by bringing you to his church. Yes, there are things that you should, you cannot forget, you should never forget. Ask any married man here who has ever forgotten his wedding anniversary. He quickly learns the truth of this point. <laughs> and probably the other things you should quickly forget, like the United States beating Ghana 4-0 in a soccer match <laughs> just on Tuesday. Oof. I thought everybody was just like beating the United States. Only Ghana got whooped by the United States. That's like in soccer of all games. Wow. <laughs> but you see, we are not very different from the Israelites. We too forget. But the habit of remembrance is usually accompanied by a heart of gratitude. Those who make it a point to remember what has been done for them build a, a, a habit of being grateful for what has been done. And those who consistently and intentionally remember the goodness of God are less likely to complain all the time. And this was something God wanted his children to remember. He wanted them to be grateful for it. And he wanted them to memorialize it. What he had done for them, he wanted them to remember it in these ways. He wanted them to remember what he had done for them, how he had done it. And he wanted them to respond in obedience and reverence and in anticipation and readiness for further obedience. So let's look at what he had done for them. Exodus 12, 3 to 13. So God had tempered justice with mercy to save the Israelites. The Israelites were not more righteous than the Egyptians, by no means. But God provided a means of escape from the destroyer through the blood of the substitute lamb. Exodus 12, 12 13 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Remember, he said all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, not all the firstborn of the Egyptian sons. But he says that both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on, on, the, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Exodus 12, 
26, 27, I'll quickly read it. It says, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. God had tempered justice with mercy. They did not deserve. And he wanted them to remember that he, the Lord, spared them when he struck down the Egyptians. What had happened there was a distinction between Israel and Egypt. An election had taken place and God had reaffirmed and confirmed his covenant with the Israelites. Uh, um, we'll get to the word covenant um, later on when we zoom out, so don't forget that. Um, I'm sure you, you probably hear zoom in, zoom out so much that um, I hope that when someone asks you, what did you learn on Sunday, you don't say, we zoom in and out of God's word. You know, when, when you zoom in, please stay there. You know, please stay. Because James 1.25 says that um, the man who looks perfectly into the perfect law, or who looks into the perfect law that gives freedom, he shall be successful in all he does. So please, when we zoom in, don't zoom out. All right, so, so how had God done it? Exodus 12, 13, it says that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. He wanted them to remember that he, the Lord, has spared them because of the blood of a substitute. Again, we'll explain this when we zoom up. A perfect lamb without defect. He wanted them to remember that it had nothing to do with their own righteousness, but because of the blood of the substitute. That day, God had passed through Egypt with judgment on all firstborn sons, but Israel had escaped because the blood shielded them from the destroyer. The third thing that God wants them to remember was that he wanted to show them to respond, to remember to respond in obedience and reverence and in anticipation and readiness for further obedience. So let's look at obedience and reverence. God wanted their memory of what he had done, how he had done it, to result in reverence and obedience for himself. God had with a mighty hand brought these Israelites out of Egypt. They were spared because they had obeyed God's instruction to apply the blood. He wanted them to remember that obedience was, rewar obedience was rewarding whilst disobedience was costly. There is a price to disobedience, and the Egyptians lent it. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I, I may obey him? Really, Pharaoh, do you really want to know? And the cost of disobedience will be paid by all, whether they know God or not. Unbelievers will pay the ultimate price at the final judgment because they disobeyed God's provision for his salvation or salvation of their souls. And the second thing God wanted them to respond to was in anticipation and readiness for further obedience. Exodus 12, 11 says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They were to eat the Passover meal dressed up as though they were ready to go at any time. God was telling them that the instruction to leave Egypt could come at any time. And so they were to adopt a posture of readiness to obey the law's next command. Past obedience is not enough to cover future requirements of obedience. To work with the Lord is to commit to a daily lifestyle of obedience. And he says in Luke 9.23, Jesus said that if anyone will come after me, he must first take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. It's the daily commitment to obedience. For those of us saved by the grace of God, 
daily obedience is required for our sanctification. If you obeyed yesterday, it is not enough to obey today. It's not enough for obedience for tomorrow. It's a daily commitment to obedience to the voice of the Lord. So those are the things. When we zoomed in, God was showing the Israelites to order their lives in light of their deliverance. He was telling them to remember their deliverance. He wanted them to remember what had been done for them. He wanted them to remember how it had been done. And he wanted them to remember to respond in obedience and reverence and anticipation and readiness for further obedience. So let's, let's take a step back now from the details of the story and see what is going on here. When we, we take a step back to look at the totality of what God is doing, the first thing we realize is that the faithfulness of God is revealed. In Genesis 15, 13 to 14, the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sergeants in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God works with covenant. A covenant is usually an agreement between two people where both of them bind themselves with promises to each other. In scripture, we see God covenant with his people and bind himself with promises towards them. These covenants were usually sealed by blood because blood is represented life. He covenanted with Abraham in Genesis 15 and later affirmed that covenant with Isaac and Jacob and later with their descendants to what we call the Mosaic Covenant. And so these words that we see in this text are related to God's covenant promises to Abraham. And when Abraham passed the test of sacrificing his son Isaac, which he did not, but he was ready to do, God also rewarded him with another promise. In, and he said that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 to 18, And the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son from your, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sun that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. From these two passages, we can see at least five promises from Genesis fulfilled in Exodus 12. The first one we see is the promise to bring judgment on the oppressors. We see the promise to bring them out of slavery, the promise of great possessions, the promise of numerous descendants, and the promise of blessings for all, all nations. As this story unfolds, we see God faithfully delivering on all and each of every one of these promises. Brothers and sisters, we serve a faithful God. We serve a God who, whose word is true and just. The Bible tells us in, in Jeremiah 1.12 that he watches over his word to perform. He tells us in Isaiah 55 verse 11 that no word shall proceed out of his mouth and come back to him void without accomplishing everything that he sent his word forth to accomplish. We serve a faithful God who keeps his promises. Unlike false gods who tantalize us with a hope and a promise of giving us what they cannot deliver, our God delivers what he promises. Hallelujah. I thought I was going to hear some amen to that. <laughs> so let's look at the promise of judgment. So the plagues from chapter 7 to 11, um, 12 of Exodus are evident of God's judgment on the gods of Egypt. And when we look at the promise of deliverance, Exodus 12.42 says, God kept vigil over them to bring them out of Egypt. 
He delivered the Israelites from slavery as he had promised Abraham. On the promise of great possessions, in chapter 12 of Exodus, verses 35 to 36, the Israelites asked their neighbors for gold, silver, and clothing as God had directed them. And by so doing, they came out with great possessions. On the promise of numerous descendants, in, verses, in verse 37 of chapter 12, the Bible tells us there were 600,000 men who migrated from Egypt or who had the exodus from Egypt. But historians will tell us that there were about 1.2 million people, considering their wives and their children as well. And this is a promise, this is a fulfillment of the promise to Israel because in Genesis 46, verse 27, 70 people have become 1.2 million. Just as God had promised them that their descendants shall be numerous as the stars. And he also said that there shall be promise of blessings for all the nations. Exodus 12, 38. He says that many other people went up with them. The deliverance of Abraham's descendants had become the deliverance for many other peoples as well. The second thing we see when we take a step back is that we see a blueprint of God's ultimate salvation plan. This passage gives us an incredibly revealing blueprint of how God was going to implement his salvation plan for humanity. The deliverance of Israel, whilst relevant to their context and condition, also held clues to how the head of the serpent was going to be crushed as God promised in Revelation 3.15. If, um, for context, in Revelation 3, when the serpents deceived the man and the woman to disobey God, God made a promise that the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. And I'll read again Exodus 12, 13. He says that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's the blood that makes all the difference. For the first time in scriptures, we are introduced to the concept of what theologians call substitutionary atonement. Um, this fancy term is from two simple words, actually, um, from substitute and atonement. Um, I can hear someone saying atonement is not that simple, but we'll get it. All right. Substitute means in place of, and that's quite simple. Atonement is actually quite simple as well. It's, it actually means at one meant. At one meant, from two words, at and one meant. Okay, and it gives the, the notion of bringing back together. And so atonement means reconciliation or making, or act of making amends or repairing for guilt or reparation for guilt or wrongdoing. So it's, it gives that notion of bringing back together because sin, one of the consequences of sin or living a sinful life is that sin has a way of separating us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sin has hid his face from you so that he cannot hear you. So the lamb was sacrificed as a substitute, atoning for the Israelites. And the blood on the doorpost was a sign that atonement had taken place. Atonement had taken place. A reconciliation had taken place. A reparation for the wrongs or guilt had taken place for the Israelites. The Egyptians who did not have atonement on their favor had to suffer the punishment of death. They were spared not because they had fulfilled God's righteous requirements. For heaven's sake, they possibly could not do so. They were spared because of the blood of the substitute. And in Romans 3.23, we learn that for all have sinned and so fall short of God's righteous standards. And Romans 6.23, we also learn that the wages of sin is truly death. The consequence of sin is death. 
Therefore, atonement needs to be made for all men. Atonement needs to be made between God and men. And so in Exodus 12, 13, we see the blood of the lamb atoned for those who applied it to their doorposts, sparing their firstborn son from destruction. However, what we see in Exodus 12, 13 is only a, a, it's only a picture of that the reality that was supposed to come was only a foreshadow of something in the distant future whose reality was to be exposed. And so in Exodus 13, 11 to 15, it says that um, we see it here because, it's, it's, because it was only a foreshadow, it was not complete. It was not enough to cleanse them from, from their sin. And so they had to continually offer these sacrifices. So let's see what it says in Exodus 13, 11 to 15. It says that when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your forefathers, and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart the Lord to the Lord all the first, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh suddenly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animal. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my, son, my sons I redeem. Later God will also provide in the Levitical order a means by which people could atone for their sins. So the, what happened in, in Exodus 3, 12, 13 the Israelites, when they reached the promised land, were supposed to repeat these offerings because it was only a foreshadow of the reality that was supposed to come. If it was complete, they wouldn't have needed to make, keep making sacrifices to remind themselves and also to redeem their firstborn sons. So in Leviticus 17, 11, God says, tells them that the life of the animal is in its blood, and I have given them to you so that you may make atonement for your sins. He says, for the life in the creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Also in Hebrews 9, 22, he adds, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without a shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The old covenants and the provision for atonement under them were temporary, only foreshadowing the reality that was yet to come. It did not deal with the heart of the issue, which is the heart of man. So sacrifices had to be continually offered. Along the line, God began to point, them, point to them that a time was going to come when the hearts of the issue will be dealt with. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. For those days, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law with, within them, and I will write in it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Abrahamic covenant was marked by a physical circumcision, but the new covenant that God was beginning to point to was to be marked by a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And so Hebrews 10, 4 says, The Lord says the blood of the Lamb shall not, atone, shall not atone for sins. The constant sacrifices could not atone for the sinful nature. It was, it was happening in, if what was happening in Exodus and the later Levitical order were all a foreshadow, what was this reality that these foreshadowed? I'll not keep you in suspense because you already know the reality is Christ. In him, the realities of those foreshadows are fulfilled. And so in Colossians 2.17, it says that these are the shadow of the things to come, 
but the substance of them is in Christ. Of, of Jesus, John the Baptist in, in John 1.29 says, he says that the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamp of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5.7 he says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unliving batch as you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. By substitutionary atonement, he who knew no sin become, became sin, so that in him we will become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect unblemished lamb of God, bore the sins of the world. He took it unto himself, nailed it to the cross of Calvary, and by so doing, he made a one-time sacrifice for sins, which atoned for our sins once and for all. The blood represents God's power and his grace. The blood is powerful to atone for our sins, and so he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The blood represents the grace of God, and so he says in Ephesians 2, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is not by works that you can boast. Revelations 5, 9-10 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. As we end this, I want to remind us that Jesus, just as the Israelites applied the blood on the doorpost to escape death, we need to apply the blood of Jesus to escape eternal death. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. You can't escape God's judgments by good intentions, brothers and sisters. Your good resume cannot save you. Nothing else can. It is only the blood of Jesus that atones for sins. Therefore, if you can hear me today, do not harden your heart. God is calling you to apply the blood of Jesus in your life if you have not already done so by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have already been saved, God considers your salvation a big deal. He wants you to order your life based on the new identity you have in Christ. He wants you to remember what he has done for you, how he has done it for you, and he wants you to respond in reverence and obedience to his word as you continue on your journey of sanctification. I will end with this passage from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, it is, that is through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised us is faithful. Hallelujah. Shall we pray, church? Father, we thank you so much for the blood of Jesus applied on the hearts of men applied on the hearts of women, applied on the hearts of all peoples that bring salvation and that atones for our sins. I want to pray that if there's anyone amongst us here who has not yet applied this blood of Jesus, 
As they have heard this word, I pray that you shall give them that grace to help them take the next step of coming to Jesus and confessing him as their Lord and Savior. For those of us who have already applied the blood, I pray that we shall remember what you have done for us. And we shall remember to order our lives in response to what you have done in honor and glory of your holy name. I want to pray over your church today as well. If there's anybody who is suffering from bondage to anything that is not of you, we want to pray that God, by the blood of Jesus, that sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. May you release them from the bondages of anxiety that has gripped many hearts. The bondage of worry and fear of the world and the elements of this world, may you free your people from. Is anybody struggling under the burden of the weight of the bondage to sin? Maybe sexual sin. I pray that you shall break that yoke off their necks and let them begin to enjoy their journey of sanctification in you. Father, thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.